New Testament reading can be found on page 1113 in the Church Bible. 1113. And it's Acts 17, beginning at verse 16. And it's headed in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worshipped, and that is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, 
also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Thanks be to God for that reading. Amen. Today's second reading is John chapter 4, verses 19 to 26, and it can be found on page 1067 of the Church Bible. So that's page 1067. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know, that, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. That in our unknowing Father, you would come and reveal yourself to us. And that in your word, we may find the answer to every longing. For Jesus Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Well, they say, don't they, that if you want to know what the water is like, don't ask the fish. Because the fish is too close to it. The water for the fish has always been there and the fish doesn't even notice it. It's just the environment in which it swims. Well, today we are asking what is our water like? What is it that's so close to us that perhaps we don't even notice it? And we're beginning a series of sermons that are going to go on on every other uh, Sunday through to Palm Sunday uh, uh, on the theme of Christianity and today's world or the Christian life and today's world. And we're going to be looking at the culture of our day and asking what faith in Jesus Christ has to say about the things of culture. Because it's when we ask those questions that we are clarifying something about who we are and what our priorities are. We're able to define ourselves more clearly and what our future will be and so on and how we know what's right and true in the world. Because we live in a world of... Uh, this. the lady asked, not asking the fish. We live in a very confusing world. Much of what we live 
with is so close to us that unless we are awakened, these things we'll never to these things we'll never consider the impact they have or what our faith says about them. And it's a challenge for us to know what our faith means today in today's culture. Because otherwise, Christianity for us will be a hiding place, somewhere where we run to on a Sunday morning and leave the world out there because it's just too difficult for us. It becomes an escape rather than something that, where we are the transforming presence in the world that we're meant to be. So, in these sermons, we're opening our eyes to see the culture in which we live. We're going to take a long look at the things that we're not so aware of, but shape us so deeply. In order that, we may not be indistinguishable from anybody else. So that we can be aware of them and make the most of the opportunities that we have of living Christian life in today's world. And we'll do it, really, through these verses in uh, Acts chapter 17, when St. Paul went to Athens and saw the city there. He was in Athens, and we're going to think about, first of all, what he saw. He was looking for signs for the kingdom of God. That's what we do. Look for signs of the kingdom breaking in, coming, being established even in our day. And verse 16 says he looked around the city and whilst he was in Athens, he was greatly distressed because he saw a city that was full of idols. Athens was this great university town in the ancient world, fond of debating the latest philosophical ideas. It was an intellectual metropolis, perhaps a bit like Oxford or Cambridge in our day. And then we read a little later on in verse 21 that the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent all their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. But intellectual cleverness was not going to impress Paul. It was indeed an intelligent city, but it was a city that lacked wisdom. Do you know the difference between intelligence and wisdom? You do? Intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in the salad bowl. Well, this was an intelligent city, but not wise. It was full of idols, smothered in idols, swamped in idols. In fact, it was so full of idols that it was said that a man could find a god easier. It was easier to find a god in Athens than a man. See, the whole architecture, the whole structure of the city was dedicated to the worship of the gods. But at the heart of this intelligence was ignorance. So in verse 23, we find that he even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God.
Paul saw a city full of idols, but it was a religiosity. And in their religiosity, he also saw their ignorance. They didn't know God, just like the fish doesn't know the water. So now, when we look around our city of Chelmsford and around the world in which we live, what idols might we find? The idols which in our day promise everything, fulfilment and excitement and entrapment uh, and life, sorry, but in the end they deliver only uh, dependency and entrapment. And see, there's many of these idols. And the first ones that we're likely to mention, of course, are those vices that perhaps we find easiest to avoid. We see them in other people, but don't struggle with them ourselves. Things like sex and drugs or drink and the like. But at these, these sermons are going to look much deeper at the idols that are so ingrained in our culture that we may not even notice them. They're just what we do, and we may not notice how much our lives are shaped and controlled by them. So the first of these idols of our day is the idol of personal identity, the thing that gives rise to the cult of celebrity. <laughs> thought you'd like that. Do you want to see that again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? That's the question. Who am I in the world? Sports personality, political personality, media celebrity, pop idol. How do you get to be someone in the world? Can I be famous just for being famous like the Kardashians are? Then there's the, uh, then there's the idol of consumer culture. What am I worth? That's the question. Everything's for sale. Everybody has a price. So... What's your price? What can we sell? Goods, services, money, people, yourself. Even in our town, people are being bought and sold, trafficked. Thirdly, there's the technological advance and our attitude to the future. Where am I going? How can I be saved? There's another one, look. <laughs> Save yourself from embarrassment by changing your mobile so you won't be ashamed of it. Save yourself time by banking online or internet shopping and save yourself from having to communicate with real people. Save the planet with wind and wave and solar power, but please don't take my car away. Save our environment and our air by closing off a bit of Baddow Road 
but let me pass down it. How can we save ourselves? Fourthly, the idol of many truths. The what does it mean question. It's all relative. What's true is true for you. That's your truth. Even if it's different from my truth. And my truth is just as valid as your truth even if they are opposites. How can we decide what's right? And we're going to unpack those four idols over the coming weeks. But I began by saying that uh, today that for, for us those questions are answered in our Christian identity. And we hold on to that truth, that Jesus Christ is the answer to them all. He's made us children of God, members of his family. That's who we are. He's proved our worth by dying for us. That's how much we're worth. We know our future because it's in Christ for eternity. We have been saved. We don't have to sell ourselves because he has bought us. And we proclaim the truth, a particular truth. As Paul, we find out, proclaimed a particular truth in Athens. That Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Proved beyond doubt by his resurrection. We proclaim the God who is unknown in our culture today. So Paul saw this city of idols Ignorant of the love of God. Just as our idolatrous culture is ignorant of God's love. Jesus is the answer to the ignorance. That's what Paul saw. So then we think about what Paul felt. In verse 16 it tells us that he was greatly distressed. Distressed at the sight of worship of God that was so distorted and degraded, where people worship created things rather than the creator of things. Where they bow down to dead and worthless objects, dishonouring the name of the living Lord, who's revealed himself through all creation to be known by all people. And such is Paul's love for God that he is distressed by the dishonouring and denigration of his name. And as we live the Christian life, we too are distressed by the dishonouring of his name. A friend of mine was so distressed by her non-believing father, who would swear and curse using the name of Jesus just routinely, that she said to him, would you mind not using that name because you're actually talking about the man I love? Christian faith does that. It tugs at our hearts when the first thing that a chose, the, the chosen couple say when they enter into their newly made over room or come round the back of the house to their newly made up garden and there we all are watching for the reaction and they say, 
Say it with me. Oh my God. Well, if you're like me, you'll go, no. That's a garden. It's not your God. It pains the Christian heart. And Paul was distressed also because of the lostness of the people. The ignorance of them in that city meant that they were truly lost to themselves and to God. In verse 23, he begins to declare the God that they don't know. Because without knowing him, their lives are impoverished and diminished and lessened. They are enslaved to their religious practices, trapped by the false idols of their day. And so more than anyone, Christians are distressed when they see a person who's unsure of themselves, ending up drugged or drunk or in jail. That should distress us. We're distressed when we see someone so blind to the consumer culture that they're loading up their credit cards, maxed out on buying stuff. And we're distressed when we see someone working so hard to save themselves and living in so much guilt because of it. I'll never be good enough for God. And we are distressed when people are so unsure of what's true that they have lost any sense of morality. The Christian heart beats with distress for the lostness of the world. It's a godly distress, born out of love for God and love for the people God has created and wants a relationship with. For St Paul, God's name was dishonoured. And the people God loves were perishing in their own ignorance. And he was distressed. And in following Christ Jesus as we do, we are also similarly distressed for God's sake and for theirs. And then thirdly then, what Paul said. He had something to say about it, as we should also. He brought them gospel truth in their ignorance. In telling them of the God they didn't know, he said in, God, in verse 24 that God was their creator, the creator of the universe. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Do you know, it is not a chance combination of atoms brought about by some plane crash of an explosion that has created the wonders of this world. It might have been an explosion, but God's hand was in the forming and the shaping and the putting together. Nor was the very stuff of creation a God to be worshipped, as some have said. God is the personal creator and the personal Lord of everything that he's made. So it's foolish to think that a shrine made by human hands is where you encounter God. You can't imprison God. And then in verse 25, he says that God is the sustainer of everything. He's not served by human hands as if he's needed anything because he himself gives men life and breath and everything else. We are not here for God's benefit. 
though sometimes we make that mistake and think we are, we're not here for God's benefit and we can't give him anything. We depend on him. He doesn't depend on us. Making an idol, you see, it tames God. Making an idol makes him a small thing and you can't tame God. You can't make him like a domestic pet. In verse 26 to 28, Paul says he's the ruler of the nations. He made the nations so that they might seek him. Seeking him, to grope after him, to feel after him because they are separated from him. All of us, all of us have been separated and lost. But God wants to be found. So it's folly, you see, to blame God for the separation. Folly to blame God when we ourselves have separated ourselves from him. And it's foolish, therefore, to call him an unknowable God. Because it's we who are far from God when it feels like that. Not God who is far from us. He can be found. He can be known. And by faith in Jesus, we can know him today. Fourthly, Paul says, God is the father of human beings. Uh, these, These little Babies, by the way, they're made out of clay. They're not real babies. And you can buy them on the internet. We are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, Paul says, we should not think that the divine being is like silver or gold or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. See, when when we make idols whether they're ancient or modern, material objects or, or, uh, or unworthy ideas of the mind and culture. When we make idols, we're making God in our image rather than us being in God's image. We try to bring him under our control. And it's a foolish thing to say, I can't believe, as some have said to me, I can't believe in God because I can't understand him. What a silly, foolish thing to say. Because of course you can't understand him. He's God. And you're not. He's the one who brought us into being, not the other way around. So if you think you can understand God, you've got him wrong. Because he is beyond our comprehension, though we can know him. And lastly... Paul says that God is the judge of the world. He has set a day, verse 31 says, when he'll judge the world by the man he has appointed and given proof of this to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus judges the idolatry of our world. He judges the idolatry of our culture. There is a day of account to come. And yet, his people, you and me, can be sure of passing through judgment. We have already been judged and found acceptable in God's sight. We're given the way, in in verse 29. In the past, 
God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people to repent. And we here, along with all others of Christ's around the world, have come to that point of repentance where we have accepted God's mercy and love, where that process of transformation into becoming like him has begun. So you see, being a Christian begins to set us free from the swimming, swimming about in the goldfish bowl. Not even aware of the water that we're swimming in. Faith in Jesus opens our eyes to the idols of our culture and of our day and their folly. Jesus offers us fullness of life. He rescues us from the idols. We have passed through judgment into life in Christ. And so these sermons will reflect on those four idols of our day, one by one as we go through till uh, Palm Sunday so that we may know with confidence who we are, what we're worth, how we are saved, and what our lives really mean in today's world. Amen.